Amen. You can be seated. I've titled today's message, Real Ministry is Not About Me, all right? Because when we get into topics around tongues, right, immediately what everybody goes to is doctrinal positioning. And Paul's not really trying to fight through some doctrinal position here. He's really trying to help people wake up to the idea that ministry and your relationship with God is about more than just you. It's about the church. It's about the building up of the saints. So let's go ahead and jump here into verse 1. He follows up this thought on love by saying, pursue love. It is the greatest. It is the highest, right? And now he's going to backtrack for a moment and, and really address the thing that they are most consumed with. He wants them to be consumed with love, but they are looking for a manifestation that makes them so different from everybody else. And, and think about that mindset. That mindset's not, you know, unique, right? Today, it's like, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my daughter makes this joke, you know, she says, you know, I'm not like other girls, right? And, and she says that ironically because it's just the, the mindset, right, of a, of a lot of teenage girls uh, apparently is like, you know, I'm so unique, I'm not like other girls, right? And, and I watched a, uh, a little video. Uh, video yesterday from uh, the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you watch those guys. They're a satire site, and uh, most of them are former pastors, and they, they did this whole, uh, this, this lady saying that she's an ex-evangelical, right? And like, it's such a unique experience, but yet it's like every other ex-evangelical who's deconstructed and doesn't believe in God anymore, but grew up in church and had the experiences with God, and God showed up and manifested himself, and I sat there and touched him and smelled him, and, but I don't believe in him anymore, and I'm so unique, right? It's this mindset that we have that we need to be different from everybody else. And so Paul's kind of jumping in and saying, I want you to pursue love. If you'll pursue love, then when it comes to these other gifts, right, there will be some direction, right? Because you'll love other people more than you love yourself. And, and he's not saying, I don't want you to speak in tongues. And we'll break down what that means in a moment. But he's saying that I want you to do things and be engaged in your relationship with God in a way that draws other people to him, right? That's the, that's the call that we have on our lives. He says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he's really spending time, chapter 12, 13, 14, talking about the fact that we should want these things, especially that you may prophesy. And I want to point something out here uh, uh, here in the Greek, and, I, and it's not a very clean uh, snippet of it uh, because it's on a white background, but I want you to, to just look at something here. Uh, when you look at a lot of different translations, it will use this language here, earnestly pursue love and earnestly desire now spiritual gifts. And I want to uh, take a look at these, the, this idea of earnestly pursuing and earnestly desiring something. So when you earnestly pursue something, there's this implication that you are persecuting it, okay? So this is, and if you think about this for a moment, right? So when we're looking at it from the, from the Latin, we're looking at pursue, and then we have this word persecute. It, the idea of pursuing is just kind of going after it, right? But persecuting it means that I'm engaged with it. Like I'm tackling it, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in it, like I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing a hold of it. And, and, the, and the language here about love is not one that's like skipping behind it like, ooh, I'm chasing love, right? But it's that at, at whatever cost, I'm getting a hold of this thing, right? I'm going to figure this thing out. So it's a really strong word that when we look at it in the English, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really grab that same way. And so, so Paul is, there's a real passion here in what he's saying. So he's, I, I want you to be 
adamant in your pursuit of love. You need to do whatever it takes to have that spiritual gift inside of you. And then he says here, talking about other spiritual gifts, he says, earnestly desire. And this is to have like a warm affection for. So there's a big difference. Like he wants us to understand love is the greatest, right? And and again, like if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't see it, I challenge you to go back and look at this. I, I know it can sound offensive in our culture. What can't? right? The idea love is love is just not true, okay? There is, there is a supernatural work that happens inside of an individual when they are loving the way that God has created them to be, and so it is a gift from God that must be persecuted, right? And we look at that with such negativity, right? But that just means that I'm all up in its face. I want it. But when it comes to these other things, he says, look, he says, earnestly desire those things, like have an affection, a a, a want for them, but you've got to get love. That's how he starts this whole portion of conversation. And again, the reason that he is, as we just read the text, is because there is apparently a lot of conversation going on about speaking in tongues, right? And why is this? He says, have an affectionate desire for the gifts. Why? So that you may prophesy. And that is to foretell events, to have divine inspiration, right? And I'll talk a little bit about this in a moment, but, but this is, has to have order and it has to have some boundaries to how it is um, uh, not just developed, but even exercised because there are so many other religious ideologies out there that want to be fortune tellers, that want to be psychics, that want to tell you what's going on deep inside of you. And Paul, he says, there's got to be some order to how this thing is taking place, right? So for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So what does tongue mean, right? Because immediately, again, different denominations grab onto these different ideas and begin to say different things about what exactly it is. If we just go to the Greek and we look at the word, it means nothing more than a language, okay? Right? Now, when King James was being put together, they actually added a word that is not in any of the original manuscripts. Now, I don't believe there was malice in doing this. They were trying to communicate something, but they added this word, unknown tongue. Unknown. And, and I think that this this adding this word unknown really takes away from what Paul was communicating when he used the word tongue. And, and just to give you a little bit of perspective, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men, and he uses that same word, if I speak in the languages of men, are there languages that are not of men? Yes, there are. But if we add unknown tongue into this, we remove the the languages of men from the context. And I'm going to make the argument that when we are talking about tongues, we are not just talking about people who are speaking in another language, a heavenly language or an unknown language. We are, Paul is also addressing people who are speaking English or Spanish or French or whatever the language is. He's also addressing the fact that we can use language as a source of manipulation, okay? So tongues here, whether supernatural or human, it is just a reference to direct communion with God. That's what he's talking about. However you talk with God, right? Whether you're doing it 
and he'll, he'll specifically talk about doing it in a language that you don't even understand yourself. Yes, but it also seems to be applicable to say that even if you are speaking in your own tongue, okay, right, that there is something to be said about what you are saying. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll move to verse 3. It says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, right? So if speaking, right, just using my tongue, whether it is in a known language or an unknown language, when I'm talking to God, that is just me and him in communion, right? But when, when I prophesy, it is about communion with brothers and sisters. It is about bringing God's understanding to the people, right? So it's about somebody walking in who doesn't know what it's like to be in relationship with God. And, and I, I just have to say, like, I think that's probably, that, that's, that's probably even a large number of believers, right? They believe, they've had an experience, they, they know that there is Jesus and that Jesus is alive. They believe these things, they confess these things. But when, when you begin to talk about, like, relationship, a lot of even people who call themselves Christians would be like, well, what does that look like, Right? Right? And then when you hear somebody use language like, well, I heard from God, or God showed me this, or this revelation happened in my life, a lot of Christians go, well, I, I haven't had that experience. What does that look like? What is it, how does that work? And Paul says that, that when we are operating in a manner that is genuinely from God, it should be in such a, a, a way that it goes unilaterally out to everybody around me and helps them connect with God. Whoa, that's incredible. That speaks to me. I understand what it is that is being said. For what reason? The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, okay? But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so this is one of those orders for the prophet, right? The prophet is not going to have a little business on the side of the road saying, I'm the prophet, I know things, come give me five bucks and I'll tell you exactly what's going on in your life. When it comes to the things of God, the reason that the prophet, that a person would operate in prophecy is to build up the church because it makes more of Jesus. It makes more of what Jesus is about, right? It makes more about the body of Christ, about my brothers and my sisters than it does about me, right? And so I'm not going to lie. When somebody is, uh, I'm, I'm leery when people throw uh, many titles in front of their names, right? Um, pastor, I think, is a pretty neutral one, but there are a lot of titles that people will grab onto, and I'm just reminded of how Paul would introduce himself as being enslaved by the gospel, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like throwing these titles out, it, 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 it kind of sometimes is a red flag. I'm not saying it always is, but sometimes I'm going to tread with caution, and when somebody calls themselves a prophet, right? And that they have the gift of prophecy and they talk about that. Well, I'm just always hearing from God. And let me tell you what God's saying right now. I'm very, very skeptical. I'm very, very skeptical. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the opportunity to prove that you hear from God, but I'm also going to give you the opportunity to prove that you don't hear from God. And the reality is, is that if you are prophesying something and it doesn't come to pass, and then you make excuses for why it happened that way, right? I'm, I'm going to go back to Scripture, and I'm going to say, well, I believe God's Word, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying into the whole you're a prophet thing, right? And one of those first points of order is what? They're not building themselves up. They're building up the church. They're not talking about themselves and their capability, their gifting, right? So 
Building up the church is better than building up oneself. That is a universal truth through what Paul is saying, and he's really bringing it home right now. Now, go to verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. So he knows that by just kind of starting out of the gate, people might be like, oh, well, you know, we should stop speaking in tongues, right? Uh, we should stop using our, our, our languages. It's not what he says. He says, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So reiterating the point, what Paul is doing is combating an exaltation of tongues above other gifts because it is something that is so personal, right? And and it doesn't require anything to be kind of put out of me okay? It's just me and God. It's very safe. I can have this, whatever it looks like, your prayer language. Maybe it's just that I'm just a prayer warrior, or I am filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in an unknown tongue. Whatever that looks like to you, okay? That is still just you and God, right? If there's no interpretation that goes with it, and the interpretation should do what prophecy does, and that should be to encourage everybody else around for them to be able to go, man, that was God. Like, I, I see that. That testifies, right? Like, that, that, that resonates with me. And so, Paul says, I want you all to be in prayer. I want you to all be in communion with God. That's not what I'm trying to say is stop doing that. I'm just telling you that, like, you've got to, that you've got to go bigger than that. You've got to go bigger than just you and God praying, right? Okay? And so, he's combating this idea that, hey, as long as you're praying, you're good enough. As long as you're just talking with God, that's all that's required. No, no, no. You should be desiring to build up the church, right? So that the church may be built up, right? But someone has to interpret when they are speaking in tongues. And what does that mean? It is very simple, to translate or explain. To translate or explain, right? And so this is not just a simple, like, uh, like, like random thing that comes off the wall, right? So if you hear somebody and they're speaking in a language that you don't recognize, and then they give an interpretation, and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it doesn't seem to make any sense, right? Then that interpretation, that explanation, they're not, they're not, they're not congruent, right? Something else is going on. Let me tell you, when I was in, uh, in Bible college, I attended a church that uh, ran multiple services, two or 3,000 people per service, massive church up in Missouri. And uh, I was in the church service one day, and, uh, you know, uh, it was an Assemblies of God church, and uh, great worship, great teaching. I, I fell in love with line-by-line Bible teaching there. The pastor did that. And one day in service, there was, a, there was a unknown tongue spoken out loud, 2,000 people in the room, right? And I had been going there for over a year and never heard or seen anything like this. And then a few moments later, there was an interpretation. And as soon as it was done, the pastor, uh, John Lindell is his name, walked out onto the platform and kind of stopped everything and said, hey, let me explain to you what you just saw. So if you've never experienced this before or you've been told your whole life that this is not of God, let me explain to you what the scripture says. So he lays out a really quick five-minute teaching and they go back into service with worship and everything and move on. Maybe six months later, I'm in church again. It's you know, jam-packed service, and then there is another tongue being given. And in the middle of that person giving that unknown tongue, that same pastor walked out and stopped everything and said, I'm just telling you, it was awkward in the room, and said, you need to stop. This is not of God. And that blew my mind, right? And later, 
I met with him and was asking him, like, what, what was the deal? And he said, discernment. He said, not everyone who gets up and, you know, says that they've got this gift actually has these gifts. And he said, I knew for a fact that this was not of God. And he said, I'm not going to go into the details. And yes, it embarrassed that person in front of everybody, but I'd rather be right in front of God than right in front of the emotions of the people in the room. Man, that just spoke to me. Like, and I just got to tell you, standing up in front of thousands of people and putting a stop to something like that was pretty incredible. So I got to see both of these kind of movements in, in play, right? So, so an interpretation, right? A translation, an explanation, it makes sense. It connects with you. Verse 6, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you someone uh, some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, right? It says, how will I do this? And it, it kind of makes me think of this Napoleon complex that people talk about, right? It's like uh, the, the person who knows everything, they've got it all figured out, right? Uh, a lot of times there's something that, you know, they're, they're a shorter person. I don't know if you know much about Napoleon. We were blessed uh, Years and years ago, we were given a Mediterranean cruise, my family was, and so we stopped in Ajaccio, which is where Napoleon was born and raised, and so we actually walked through the house where Napoleon grew up, and he was such a short man that his dad built him a bed that was shorter than the rest of them to save money right? So, so he, he had a complex going on, right? So when they talk about like the Napoleon complex, like trying to compensate so that they can be noticed, like that comes from a real place. And I think that a lot of that is what I get here when it says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, right? He says like, like if I'm just coming in and speaking in tongues, right? Like I'm impressing everybody. He's like, what, what good am I, right? But some people just think that they are, some people just think that they're very spiritual because they have all the right things to say. Now, remove unknown tongues for a moment and just insert English, right? Like, think about how applicable this is. Like, if there is no real divine inspiration behind what you're saying, and yet you're just getting up and talking about God this and God that, and it's like, man, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. That doesn't resonate with my spirit. You're telling me that God said this to you? And, you know, I heard a worship leader one time say, you know, uh, uh, thankfully it wasn't Michael, uh, said, you know, oh, you know, uh, I was reading in the Psalms and David says that the heavens were like brass and God said, do you really think the heavens are like brass? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, no, David was lying, right? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's craziness. You know what I'm saying? But man, people were like, oh my goodness, God said that to you. Man, that's revelation, right? No, like Paul just wants you to have some order. He wants you to experience the supernatural things of God, right? But he doesn't want you to be deceived by those who, some of them are not operating in malice, right? Some of them are just immature, okay? But he doesn't want you to be deceived, right? So uh, here's a really good connecting point that he puts in here using the words knowledge, right? The words knowledge and teaching. Knowledge, that which is gained by observation and study, okay? Right? Very simple. The knowledge of God comes from studying his word or from being in relationship with him through divine revelation. They won't contradict, they won't contradict each other, right? Think about how you feel, right? When you see a public personality talk one way, and then you find out that behind closed doors they're completely different, right? We don't like that, like, right? We don't like our athletes to beat their women, 
right? To get up and act like, yeah, I'm such a great person. I bought a car for somebody. Look at this. And then we find out on the backside like they're beating their girlfriend. Like we don't like that, right? Right? It's, just, it's the same thing. Like, like that doesn't resonate, right? That God's doing something when somebody gets up and has a lot to say. But it's, it's like, well, the word of God says this and you're telling me God says this and they're not lining up, right? Like, like, like that, that, that doesn't work for us, right? So that which is gained by observation and study, watch this, teaching is the outward expression of knowledge, so knowledge is I gain I, through study, understanding, I got this. Now teaching is me taking what I have gained from knowledge and expressing it to others. So there's a trust factor that's taking place when somebody is in a position of teaching, doing what? Using their tongue to communicate the truths of God, right? So verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played. This is a really great analogy for us, right? So the effect of a melody depends entirely upon the distinction of its musical intervals, right? I can tell you right now, I recognize lots of music because there is something distinct about it, right? Uh, For me, like I love uh, to listen to some of the soundtracks to some of my favorite movies, right? So like I can tell a distinct difference from Jurassic Park over to Star Wars, Okay, all right, we're talking episodes four, five, and six here, just in case you were wondering, right? Okay, right, I can tell, man, I know, and I like both of them, okay? Like, you might hear me, I am, I am just nerdy enough, I literally ride around in my vehicle sometimes playing that type of music, right? I'll pull up and people will hear it and be like, what are you doing in your car, right? You know, everybody else has got their beat dropping and, you know, and I'm like, dun 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 driving down the road, right? We get that. Like, this is innate, okay? The effect of speech in like manner is dependent upon its being the communication of definite ideas, right? In order for speech to be, for, in order for the communication to, to bear witness, there has to be something absolute about what's happening and what's being said. And then when you hit a bad note where all of a sudden it turns out that this one person is a liar and a thief, you go, ooh, Ooh, that's a, that's a bad note. Like, now the, now the melody's beginning, I'm beginning to realize, like, they, they're not, it's not right, okay? So, he says, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now, they use the word bugle here, um, not because they like the little chips, right? Right? Because the, the language in there is actually trumpet, okay? But there's a distinction there because it's not just a trumpet, it, it's a, it's a war trumpet, right? And so, and so we get that. Like, we get that there's a distinction there between the guy who's playing the trumpet as an instrument in a, you know, in a, in a musical piece and then what's taking place on the battlefield, right? So that bugle is the one that's being sound, sound you know, that sounds the alarm. And, and so it's kind of bro- broke down like this. The muster, the charge, the rally, the retreat, are each indicated by a definite order of musical intervals upon the trumpet. Or they would be useless for the purpose of calling soldiers together. So words are useless to mankind unless they represent things, right? When language is being used, right, if it's not representative to anybody, it's just noise. It's just noise going in the background, right? 
Okay? So, verse 9. So, with yourselves, if, you, if, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So, the making of unknown sounds and the use of uh, redefined terminology, I think, are the two ways that this happens. Okay? One of them is you walk into a room and somebody's just, you know, and you're like, I don't know what's going on right now. What are you saying? What's, what are you saying to God, right? Okay, right? Do I believe that God operates this way? Do I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, even through the evidence of speaking tongues? I do believe that that happens, right? But I also believe that you can have understanding about what is taking place. And some of the crazy testimonies that, that you hear when people operate in real sincerity that way are mind-blowing, right? Uh, I, I heard a testimony where a guy was... Uh, uh, in, he was in the military, and he was stationed overseas and in a, in a very Islam-centric area, uh, and he was praying, and he was praying in an unknown tongue. And he said, I wasn't sure what I was praying, but man, I just felt led. I just started praying, and this guy walking by walks in and says, how do you know my language? And he says, I don't. What are you saying? And he says, tell me about this Jesus. And he led him to the Lord, right? Okay, to me, if that testimony is authentic as I believe that it is, the testimony of him, the testimony of the person who came to know the Lord, I believe that God operates that way. There is benefit to it, not just ramblings and noise that are going on, right? The other thing, and again, moving the unknown tongue to the known tongue, is the redefining of terminology. And I'm harping on this because I'm telling you every week it's in the news. Uh, we don't like the definition of this word, so we're going to change the definition, right? And what does that do? That retroactively changes everything that's ever been written about it, right? Because then when somebody goes and reads something from the 1800s and they go, oh, what does this word mean? They go look it up and they're getting a modern definition and they don't understand that that is not how everyone then was understanding it. Then what we have done is we have created an unknown language and there is confusion that is taking place, right? Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. Because we would not call it language if it did not have meaning, right? I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a nerd, and I love nerd things. Um, you, you may be familiar with Star Trek, right, and Klingons, and there is an actual Klingon language. You may have thought that they were just speaking in tongues on set every time that a Klingon came out just with ramblings. It's not what was happening. There's a Klingon language. And there was a professor a few years ago who thought it would be a really interesting experiment to only teach his child Klingon. All right, go look this up. It's crazy. And the Klingon language is an angry language, right? There's, it's not just a, a words. Like, there's just gritting of teeth and waving your arms, and he did all of it, right? And so this little kid only spoke Klingon and would go out in public, and everyone thought that the kid was crazy, right? Okay, all right? He actually got in legal trouble for this. So do not go home, learn Klingon, and teach your kids Klingon. My point is that we would not call it a language if we could not interpret it. It would not be a tongue if there was no interpretation that existed, okay? So, verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. What does foreigner mean? Foreigner is very, very simple. One who does not speak Greek or Latin. That is exactly what it means right there. So, if we make that applicable to us, 
if they do not speak English or the 20 words of Spanish that I speak, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's going on, right? Now, I'm thankful for Google Translate, right? I can just hold my phone out and Google will do the translation. But why is it able to do that? Because there's a translation, right? Because there is something to be understood from it. Verse 12, so with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He says, I get it. You are hungry for this thing. You want to be in communion with God. You want to be filled with the Spirit. I want that for you. So, so take that love that you're supposed to be pursuing with everything inside of you and use it.